Welcome to the Irish Occupational Therapy Podcast, hosted by me, Jen Trecek, and me, Irene Rutledge. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the world of occupational therapy, sharing the latest research and techniques, and providing insights into the many ways that occupational therapy can help people of all ages live more fulfilling and meaningful lives. Whether you are a practicing occupational therapist, a student of occupational therapy, or simply curious about this fascinating field, this podcast is for you. We'll be interviewing experts in the field, sharing stories from the front lines of occupational therapy practice, and providing tips and advice for anyone looking to get the most out of their therapy. So sit back, relax, and join us on this exciting journey into the world of occupational therapy in Ireland. Welcome to the final episode of this season of the Irish Occupational Therapy Podcast. We thought we would end with just um, a, a chat between myself and Aideen, just to talk about the difference between private and public occupational therapy. There's a vast um, range of options when it comes to occupational therapy and so services in general in Ireland, and it can be a little bit confusing. And for both myself and Aideen, we've worked in the private system and in the public system. So we thought for OTs it might be interesting to um, get more of a sense of some of the, the benefits and challenges of both. I suppose it's important to say that we're not advocating either or. Um, everybody finds the right service for them and the right service to work in for them. Um, but we just thought we'd share some of our experiences and thoughts. Um, how, would you agree, Aideen? Where, where are you at with this? Absolutely. And Jen, I suppose, again, disclaimer, we are both currently working as private occupational therapists. In preparation for this podcast, we were very conscious of that. Um, so we hope that this, that's reflected in, in the content of this. We are conscious not to be biased towards the private sector because we absolutely see the benefits of both. Um, both for occupational therapists and for people accessing occupational therapy. So we are going to take that two-strand approach to this podcast. Um, this isn't just about occupational therapists. It's about parents and people who want to access occupational therapy, uh, exploring the options of what's available in Ireland. Because it can be confusing in Ireland. We do have... Um, layers and tiers of services and I suppose we have the health services executive which um, on behalf of the government provides healthcare services and then we have third sector which would be voluntary organizations and charity sector organizations who provide services some um, funded by charity services and some funded by the government um, as section 37 and then we've got private occupational therapists as well um, and I found this quite confusing when I moved from living and working in the UK for years um, do, do you understand the system Aideen? As did I, Jen. So I'm from the north. I trained in Northern Ireland, worked for Northern Ireland in, in Northern Ireland for the National Health Service, like yourself, Jen. So whenever I moved to the HSE, I was very confused. And it's different in each part of the country. There are different names for the voluntary sectors. Um, we'll not go through all of them now because they're 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 different for each county nearly as well. Um, but yes, very confusing. So 
you know, as a as someone who needs to access occupational therapy, where do you go? Um, there isn't a HSE advice line. Am I right, Jen? That people can call and and inquire. Yeah. Yeah, HSC Live, um, which has got advisors um, just to, on where to start and, and what services are there. So HSC Live, if you Google that as well, they've, they've got a website. I suppose the HSC website has got lots of information on there around services in the different areas. Um, Let's talk about our, our the benefits of the public system, first of all, for people who need to access occupational therapy. So one of the striking features for me, having worked in the public system is the that multidisciplinary uh, team working. I absolutely really thrived in that in that environment, and I think it's it's the optimal environment for uh, children for adults who need to access therapy services. You can be signposted to other related professionals like physiotherapy, speech and language therapy, nursing. Um, and that's, again, as we say, a, a benefit to accessing a public system. Yeah, I, I think particularly when there's complex needs, um, it's good to have a number of different disciplines involved in understanding what might be going on for somebody, whether that's physical health or mental health. Sometimes you need a few different perspectives. And because um, the you know teams are situated together in the public sector, that makes that um, team working, multidisciplinary working, very straightforward and easy. It's um, a more seamless service then for, for the, yeah. the service user. Yeah. And, and once you're in, you're in and, you know, people can can coordinate with each other. And I suppose the the access route for um, certainly for secondary care services um, is via the GP. So if you're somebody who's got a concern um, around mental health, physical health, disability, going to your GP, your GP will know what's available in the locality and will make that referral into HSE services. And then when you're accepted into HSE services, um, it, it, there, there is so much strength in having that um, wider team approach that you don't always get when you're trying to find individual practitioners in, in the private sector. Absolutely. Another striking benefit, of course, is the finance side of things. Yeah. So accessing the public system for occupational therapy is going to be free that is because private is so expensive that absolutely is is a really key benefit and there's so many people in Ireland who aren't in a position to pay privately you know and even when you have health insurance sometimes it doesn't cover all of us so you know um it, and I would always kind of encourage people to make, make use of what's available to them and you know look at what they're the needs for themselves or their child if it's their child they're looking for support for um look at what is the best option for them because I have in my private capacity had parents say to me you know I decided to go down a private route because I could afford it or I had um health insurance and I felt it would be fairer to leave the public system for people who maybe can't afford um, private health care. And I think that's a really honourable intention and idea. 
but the public system can open doors um it can uh, you know once you're registered with the the you know disability services for example then that that stays in the system and it can potentially lead to access to services going forward so always think about you know the 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 person um, that needs the support and what options are best for them rather than um you know feeling that you have to give up a place because somebody else deserves it more I don't you know I don't think that's necessarily the case and I think too Jen a lot of um it's access to to the public service there's a lot of media coverage around waiting lists mm. seemingly inaccessible services but it is worth exploring what the situation is in your particular county in your particular area there may not be an extensive waiting list and it is worth looking at every avenue yeah. isn't it yeah, and even if you're, um, you know, if, if you're not on the list, you're not getting in, as I say. Yeah. So even if it does take a while and you look to access private support in the meantime or alternatives, at least then when, a you know, a, an assessment becomes available or, or you have access to it, then, you know, you, you can make use of it. And I think it it doesn't have to be either or, you know, we can work in partnership, you know, as a private health practitioner, some of my clients will be involved in HSC services and they want a wider um, level of support um, or they want additional support. And so I can link in then with the HSC team that they're involved with and, and coordinate, you know, who's doing what. So, you know, there is the, the, the possibility and the option to access Absolutely. different services. Absolutely, Jen. I've done that as well, whereby I've had uh, a child that I work with privately, who I see across both home and school, um, and the occupational therapist attached to the CDNT isn't doesn't have the capacity to see that child at home. So we're able to liaise and work very effectively to ensure again that it is a seamless service across both public and private um, for that individual. When we move on then to the private sector and the benefits that it gives, the choice, um, I suppose, is, is the main one that, that it gives to people who need to access occupational therapy. Um, and we want to also just outline that um, in accessing a private occupational therapist, you can visit the Association of Occupational Therapists Ireland website. And there's a, there is a directory there of occupational therapists um, based according to locality, geographical locations, and also skill sets and areas of expertise. So if someone needs to explore um, private occupational therapy, they can visit that website and look further. The, the, the choice, and I suppose one of the challenges with the public sector, and we've kind of alluded to it, but wait lists, um, there is, you know, pockets where it's not too bad but in for for most services there is some level of waiting time and there's also in my experience quite high thresholds in order to be able to access services so you know in mental health people have to be at quite a high level of distress um in order to be able to access the services and once they're in it's great but it's not always easy to get in the door so that's where I think private health can healthcare can come into its own a little bit in terms of easy accessibility. Absolutely, Jen. Like we talk about early intervention and some people then mm -hmm. obviously um, young children spring to mind when we mentioned early intervention. Mm -hmm. Early intervention is key across the lifespan when differences start to arise, when difficulties start to arise. 
being able to address them before they um, fester or escalate. Um, and that's where, again, we can avoid, um, in, in most cases, you can avoid waiting lists for accessing private occupational therapy and um, and address that need then privately. I've, I had this with my daughter. My oldest daughter has a diagnosis of ADHD and, you know, it is very mild and I don't think that she would have been anywhere near the top of any kind of wait list from a public health perspective it probably would have been years um before she would even get an assessment and we decided to go private even though it is very expensive because i didn't want her sitting with that feeling of not being good enough and you know i um i debated at the time whether to to go for an assessment or to look um, at diagnosis because you know it's not always helpful but she was um, when she transitioned into secondary school was starting to struggle with her executive functioning with her learning and kind of feeling very stupid and blaming herself and and telling herself it was really affecting her self-esteem so by being able to access the assessment and then access support from a private occupational therapist for a few sessions, it made a huge difference to her in terms of both her functioning, but also the way she felt about herself and her understanding of herself. That's a prime example of early intervention there, mm-hmm. isn't it? Because again, if you if 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 you weren't going to address that there and then, then it was going to escalate and become, you know, maybe expand into other areas of her life. What was your experience working with a private occupational therapist as a parent? Yeah, it was it was good. I mean, I actually don't know a huge amount about what she did, to be honest. So my daughter was a teenager um, and she it was around her her planning, her organization and her understanding of the ADHD diagnosis and then linked to that her, you know, how she felt about herself. So she only did a couple of sessions. It was very short. Um, and again, that idea that the earlier you can intervene, the less um, amount of intervention you might need. You know, it didn't take very much to set her on the right track. But she would come home and say, oh, look, I've, I've um, got this system or I'm setting this up or I need a whiteboard. And I'd been I'd been telling her to get a whiteboard for honestly years. Um, but when a different OT said to her, these are some of the strategies you can use, suddenly it was so much better than mom telling her what Absolutely. she should do. It always uh, has to come externally. The penny drops then, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it just gave her the responsibility that she then could take responsibility for herself and that sense of independence and that she was taking ownership of her own needs, which was really lovely to see. And it was really, you know, for her and for us as a family, it was a really positive experience and made a big difference. You know, just a short amount of intervention just made a huge difference. And she finally knew what her mommy did for a living then because she spent time with another OT. <laughs> I'm not sure quite that she still gets it. <laughs> what about then, let's talk about the benefits of the public system as an occupational therapist. So working within whether it be the HSC or the voluntary sector, um, what, what was your experience of working in the public system, Jen? So- I I haven't worked in the HSC in Ireland. I've worked in the NHS in the UK, which is public, and I've worked in charity sector, third sector um, in Ireland. And I suppose the immediate thing that comes to mind is the security that that can bring as an OT. You know, you've got... Um, 
access to experienced clinicians. You've got that kind of safety net of a wide team around you. Um, security, just in terms of terms and conditions, you know, it's something that we hear all the time when I talk to OTs about potentially moving into the private sector is kind of what about the pension and you know yeah. and you leave and all of those kinds of things yeah. so you know there are definite benefits absolutely turning up to work and just doing your job not having to think about where the work is coming from not thinking about having to put yourself out there um one of the things that I love about the public system is um, and I know we are accountable as private, we're all, as occupational therapists, we have to be accountable to be registered um, with CORU, but there is that other layer of accountability in the public system around career development. In previous jobs that I've worked in, we've had annual appraisals where you meet with your line manager and set out your goals around how you're going to develop yourself and provide the best possible service over the, the coming year. Um, also, supervision um, is easily accessible, in my experience, within the public system. Um, so those kind of um, boundaries and uh, practices are more kind of readily available as an occupational therapist in the or NHS. Yeah, in, in most cases, and you absolutely hope so, you know, I do... Um, I do know services in the HSE where supervision hasn't has, hasn't been as easy to obtain or people have had to fight for it a little bit. And I guess, you know, with any service, um, any organization, the size of the HSE or the N or the NHS, there's going to be pockets of good practice and pockets mm. where things are maybe falling below the standards that we'd hope. Um, and so, you know, it's it's very hard to, to generalize overall, but mm -hmm. certainly in, in the um, public sector, there is very clear policies, procedures, guidelines, HR processes and things that you would expect to find in place. And I guess there's also then the capacity, if they're not there, to advocate for them to be there because there's the expectations have been laid out nationally, which is helpful. Yeah, yeah. And also that opportunity for skill sharing. You know, we just talked about um, people accessing occupational therapy and this being a benefit, that multidisciplinary team working, being able to spend time with other disciplines readily and share skills. Mm -hmm. uh, you and I have both worked in transdisciplinary services, the benefits of that, where we work across different other di di disciplines. Um, and Another part of the public sector that I probably am going to miss is that um, development of our profession. So taking students on, I know we can mm -hmm. still take students on as private occupational therapists, but again, those systems are all in place in the public mm -hmm. sector, aren't they? Yeah, it's set up and absolutely there's... Um there's the support of other OTs and being able to to you know advocate for your profession develop your profession within the area that you're working in is, is really valuable really important yeah yeah as occupational therapist then Jen you have been in private practice much longer than me um what are the benefits for you as a private OT when I think about private OT, I think about the kind of push and pull and why we get into it. And I suppose some of the things that pushed me into private practice were maybe some frustrations that I had about services in terms of the limitations of what I could offer. I kind of um, felt that 
for some people that I was working with, I would like to have worked with them maybe longer or more intensively or more in depth. And um, the service setup um, that I had worked in didn't facilitate that. Um, and I think, you know, rightly, services have very clear criteria for who they work with and, uh, you know, policies and, and procedures to follow. But that doesn't necessarily allow for individual creativity. It doesn't necessarily support the relationship with the client and how that evolves and, and you know, how to maximise that. So especially as well, whenever the client or or the person, the, the individual also wants to maybe continue on and and keep working on what you've nurtured and developed and and keep progressing exactly exactly there's that kind of personal need um that they that they might have so I suppose one of the the really key things that I think private practice gives is flexibility to work in a way that meets both the needs of the therapist and the needs of the client so I can work with people wherever suits them you know if I've got a client who's struggling in in um, a community setting I can go to that community community setting with them you know I'd um, a client who really wanted to walk on the beach and that was causing them a huge amount of anxiety and they felt that they couldn't do it so we could go and do that together um, and you know that was a, a goal for them that I'm sure lots of services wouldn't view as an important goal or something that Warren's working on but for that client it was something that was really important to them so there is that flexibility to provide a service that supports the client's goals you know it, we, we talk about that in OT but sometimes service constraints don't allow us to be completely person-centered or client focused um, and I think in in private work you can absolutely do that yeah I think you mentioned flexibility there um, so it's flexible in lots of ways I think time-wise um, as someone who has a, a family as an occupational mm -hmm. therapist it's very flexible obviously you can choose your working hours and again, flexible for whoever needs to access your service that you can be, you can offer times that are outside, maybe core hours. Um, there is the option of weekend work, obviously, as well. Mm -hmm. you, you know, if you want to take time off during the week. Um, so again, from a time perspective, it is very flexible. Um, I also like that creativity piece. Whenever there is that two-way a scenario where you want to do more and the parent or the the individual wants to do more and you can you can let it um develop further for me private practice allows me to specialize in a particular area that may not be possible in the public system mm -hmm. so um i love the area of autism and working in private practice allows me to expand my cpd in this area i can prioritize it financially that i can learn more in this one particular area and um yeah specialize in it a little bit more and you really are a specialist Adrian. i mean you've got so much experience you've just gone down this really niche route and we need practitioners to do that, to kind of go, this is my area that I love. And when you're passionate about it, you learn more about it, yeah. um, which is fab. I, and I think you can also ex expand your CPD, you know, because I know some practitioners who get into private and work in one particular area and then 
um, do CPD that maybe they wouldn't have had the opportunity to do in um, a job because it doesn't yeah. relate directly to the work that they are doing, but yeah. it then allows them to expand into different areas. Um, for example, I've got a, a colleague, she's actually based in France, who, who um, her background is mental health and addiction, but had a, you know, an interest in working with people with cancer. And so did CPD around that area and has begun to expand into um, a new field. So there's there's a lot more choice in terms of the direction that you take with your career, I think. Yes, absolutely. Because I think there is that in the public system, uh, both in, in the UK and in Ireland, where it is a little bit more generic where you're providing a service to a, 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 a quite a big population quite a, a range of differences and and maybe disabilities and um trying to be kind of all things to all men which is very difficult you might be seeing maybe somebody with a physical disability in the morning and maybe more of a mental health difficulty in the afternoon and it's very hard to kind of switch over and provide a really good quality service to people with varying needs there's challenges as well, though, in private practice, let's be honest. Um, what have you noticed? Have you come across any challenges yet? Um, this is probably still linked to a positive if I'm, to, to begin with. So I suppose putting your name to, um, I suppose, your service, your business, um, that's exciting. And you're creating something that's new and that's uh, that, that you see maybe a gap in in, mm. in what's out there already. But it also brings a pressure, I suppose, mm -hmm. you are um, advertising yourself, you're putting yourself out there, and you're also then, I suppose, putting your heart and soul into this. So it spills mm -hmm. out over into, of course, your private life. Yeah. And um, time-wise as well, getting it established, it takes a lot of commitment, a lot of extra hours. Um, I do think it's worth it, but mm -hmm. it is just something to consider that it isn't the easy route it's not it's not all plain sailing as you say um and it isn't just it's not a we were talking um ourselves being ourselves Jen about being able to go off on annual leave you're finishing today for two weeks annual leave um, Yay! <laughs> yeah brilliant that holiday feeling I love that just leading up to going on holidays um I find in the public sector you can put your out of office on close off your your computer walk out the door and there isn't that responsibility on your shoulders whereas when it is your own workplace and your own service that responsibility just you know it can't really fully be switched off in my opinion yeah no you do have to keep the business going and and think about how you do that mm -hmm. I, I think I mean all of those challenges are there I think one of the things for me that I'm I've been reflecting on lately is nearly um a sense of hierarchy or snobbery around private practice and you know is there from some people a sense that um private practitioners are money grabbing or they're only in it for financial gain or you know that it's not as good as um the HSC and I struggle with that um a lot because obviously you know we do need to get paid so we do need to and and you know in Ireland talking about money can be really uncomfortable you know we don't like to do it um and so that was a real challenge for me particularly in the early days you know in terms of asking for payment for my service and 
when I think about how much I charge, it's really important to acknowledge it's not just for the time I spend with the clients that needs to cover my CPD, my supervision, my insurance, my rent, all of the the extra things that I am spending money on in my business. Um, but I think that's something that we don't always recognize for people who haven't worked in private practice. They might not see that bigger picture um, and it kind of can look like, oh, you're just in it for it because it's lucrative. And I would say it, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. And hopefully we've outlined that, that there are the other reasons that that particular interest that you have in a speciality or wanting to create something, mm-hmm. um, you know, to fill a gap in, in the public sector, um, mm. something that you've identified and to be able to give people choice as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're really important point. And it, and I think it's really helpful when, you know, private and, and public um, sector OTs can work together. And I've had some really lovely experiences of being able to do that with OTs in mental health teams and in um, hospitals as well, in terms of just being able to connect and and kind of support the client just in, in different roles that, you know, our intentions are the same and our, our um, ethics and our guiding principles and our code of conduct. And, uh, you know, that's our, our core registration is the same regardless of where we work. And um, so starting from that foundation of respect is really important. Yeah. And I think that highlights just another area of that's a challenge in private practice that you just touched on there about Corey registration, you know, you are responsible yourself for ensuring that you're properly supervised on a regular basis and that you are, you know, um, progressing your career, engaging in CPD. The onus is on you in private practice mm. and you're accountable to yourself. So that's just another thing to bear in mind um, for occupational therapists in private practice. Yeah, and you need to factor that in in terms of where you source your your supervision from, and, and you know that that you have budgeted for all of that as well. But having said that, you know I have never what never once regretted making the move from um, public into private. You know I absolutely love being able to. Um, as you say, dictate your own working days and, you know, provide the kind of service that you really want to provide, um, that you feel um, makes use of your skills and talents and, and meets the needs for the person. Um, but I think, you know, there's no right or wrong with this. Different people prefer different modes of, of um, working and, you know, different times of your life as well might mean that different options are more preferable. You know, certainly when I was um, starting my family and I had, you know, bills and mortgages and, and kind of was worried about maternity leave, that wouldn't have been the time for me to, to head into private practice. And, you know, now my kids are a little bit older. I've got got less demands at home I've got a bit more energy for work that you know that helps absolutely can you see yourself ever going into public practice again Jen um I mean never say never um but not right now I enjoy so I do supervise some OTs who work um in in the public sector and I enjoy that I enjoy that connection um and I you know I certainly it, it wouldn't wouldn't rule it out completely but at the moment um I am absolutely loving my own practice and I'm looking at how I can expand my practice and also support other OTs into 
um, into private practice because I do feel it really fits, you know, for a lot of OTs, a lot of us are female, a lot of us are families, and we need that flexibility that isn't always possible in public sector so I you know I am passionate about supporting OTs to develop the skills if they choose to allow them to work in in the in the private sector and to be honest Jen you're probably one of the reasons why I have moved into the private sector you <laughs> really inspired me so you do that really well you made it less scary you pointed out all the positives I've been to your training with Anya OD and I just, it did open my mind. I never, ever, ever intended to go into private practice, if I'm honest. I was very happy being a public servant, as I called myself. Um, very happy, very safe, but um, it did take the scariness out of it. Um, you know, again, yeah. you know, the common topics around pension and um, security and, and all of that. Um, but it, it's lovely and refreshing to hear the other side of it, you know, the, the, the mm. positives and um, the exciting parts that private practice can bring. That it's doable, because I think it's interesting as an OT profession, we don't think about private practice straight off. But if you look at things, you know, professions like um, psychology, like um, dentistry, like speech and language therapy, um, like physio, a lot of those disciplines and professions go straight into private practice without batting an eyelid from college. They don't think about it. They, they, you know, private practice in those fields is standard. Um, and yet it's not, or it hasn't been for OT, which is interesting. Do you think, do you think you're better going into the public? I suppose from my perspective, I think you probably are better to go into the public um, sector first to gain a good range of experience and to fully decide what area you want to specialize in or um, hone in your skills in. What's your opinion on that? Do you think occupational therapists should do that or should they launch straight into private practice? Do you know, I, I, my views have changed. I would have said before, oh, yeah, definitely you need to be working um, in, in the HSE or in the NHS first. However, I think now a lot of it depends on your own self-awareness, um, who you surround yourself with, how you resource yourself in terms of supervision, um, those kinds of things. And I've seen some OTs who've moved straight into private practice and have been very, very successful in it. Um, from a personal perspective, I do think it's good to see how different areas operate and learn um, about different workplaces and, you know, to, to get the best from them. Um, but, you know, that's that's not for everybody. And I think people can be really, really successful just going straight into private practice. I think seeing the different cultures in workplaces is helpful. You know, I went from the NHS into um, a corporate organization where the culture was very, very different and very KPI focused and, you know, very um, efficient. And there was lots of pluses to that. There was also lots of challenges and, you know, um, in terms of rates of burnout and that kind of thing so I think it's good to look at different models and different organizations and and pull from them the bits that are helpful um, and then learn about the bits that aren't helpful or that can contribute to to difficulties in the workplace and that could probably lead to more success then in setting up a private practice because you're 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 drawing in all the, the positives 
yeah. yeah and that life experience across different sectors yeah yeah experience is it's always good but you know like it, the whole um traditional route of you go to college and as an ot and then you go when you're 21 or 22 into a job for life and you know that you you're in the same service for years and years and years I'm not sure that that's um, going to continue. I think that yeah. services are changing, adapting, evolving as OTs, as a profession, we're changing, adapting, evolving all of the time. And we all need to stay on top of things. So to keep it fresh and I think to avoid burnout as well, Aideen, we talked about that recently in terms of people feeling stuck in a role or in a job that is unhealthy for them and you know sometimes a change is, is as good as a rest and we need to try different things and what a what a fantastic profession we're in as occupational therapists if you do get tired in your particular area that you're working in right now there are so many other options and so many other avenues um, and that's what we want to explore with this podcast. Hopefully in season two, we're going to speak to many more occupational therapists working in lots of different sectors um, so that we can really raise the awareness of our profession and what we can do, how, how it can be so very different, how your daily work in one particular field can be so very different to an occupational therapist working in another. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I've loved about doing this podcast over this season has been meeting so many different people, but I'm so aware there's so much wider, there's a wider range of OT um, options than we've even touched on. We have hardly spoken to any physical OTs. Um, we're really keen to do that. So, you know, as this goes out, we're in the process of recording season two um, and we are always open to people. If you're an OT who's listening Listen to this and you think actually I've got something to say um I'm in an area that hasn't been showcased that people need to know more about we'd love to hear from you or if you're you know um somebody who's used services or who, who's worked alongside an OT or you know anyone who's got an interest in the area if you think that you would like to contribute to this podcast in some way please do get in touch at the Irish OT podcast at gmail.com pretty sure that's it we still haven't earned it we haven't yeah. learned it off yet despite yeah, our whole season we are conscious jen that as a mental health ot and a children's ot we probably have had that focus for this season one but we are keen to expand out um yes in particular i would love to speak to maybe an ot who works in the area of dementia i think that would be really mm. interesting raise the awareness of our role in that field um, we hope to speak with a Seton specialist, occupational therapist as well. Anyone, yeah. any particular area on your on your list that you want to explore a bit more? Oh, um, I'm interested in ergonomics and and um, the you know also housing is an area that I personally have not had a huge amount of experience in and would love to to find out more about that. Yeah. So many areas, it's fab. Yeah. yeah, it's great. So lots to look forward to. Thank you all for tuning in and listening into this episode as we draw close to season one and we look forward to join us again for season two. Bye. That's all for today's episode on the Irish Occupational Therapy podcast. We hope you enjoyed our discussion and found it informative and engaging. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at irishotpodcast at gmail.com 
or connect on Instagram or Facebook. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss an episode. If you found this episode helpful, please leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Um, Your feedback is important and helps us to improve the show, so please do leave it. Thank you for listening to the Irish Occupational Therapy Podcast, hosted by myself, Jen Trachek. And myself, Aileen Rutledge. We look forward to sharing more insights and knowledge with you in future episodes. Until then, take care.